0: Hello and welcome to Carl's interviews in podcast form. This is an audio extraction of the live interviews that I've conducted with some absolutely fantastic guests from all walks of life with a common theme. Have been truly inspiring, and I cannot wait for you to hear their story. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another of Carl's interviews today i'm joined by someone who's favorably known as the grandma of athletics donna Fraser, who has recently just been awarded an obe is a breast cancer now ambassador four times olympian and general all-round sporting legend we had a fantastic chat which i'm about to share with you but a little bit of an interesting end on the insta live when Donna's mum, all the way from St Vincent's and the Grenadines, kept trying to call us in between. So if it gets a little bit interesting in the end, you understand why. But more on that later. So Donna, apart from obviously the grammar athletics, let's cover where it all began. Talk to me. Tell me, how did you actually get into athletics in the first place and realise that you're clearly so talented at this?
1: Um, so, yeah, I was uh, eight, eight years old, running from my primary school, extremely shy young little girl that didn't even think about sport being a career um many years down the line but my sister and my family in fact were very sporty okay. so i was always watching sport on tv and a vivid memory is the olympic games 84 and thinking i actually want to be there um but you know at the age of eight i was only running 55 meters okay. and what seemed like miles yeah. as a youngster i wouldn't have minded running that now but uh, was soon picked up by the local club, Croydon Harriers, which I'm still a member of, to come down and join the club. But um, me being that shy individual, I wasn't too keen on that. But my older sister convinced my parents to let me go down, see what it was like and hoped that it would help me come out of my shell and make new friends. And that's exactly what it did. Uh, And I do remember that first night going down thinking, oh, my gosh, this is a bit nerve wracking. But everyone was there that I saw was doing exactly what I wanted to do. And that was just run, just enjoy, have fun. And that's the environment that I remember vividly about Croydon Harriers. Um, So the rest is history almost. Um, Joined the club, uh, was running weekends and weekends out throughout the summer. Um, Then I was a 100 and 200 metre runner. But um, unfortunately, there came a point where I say unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, came a point where I wasn't really progressing over the 200 and uh, some bright spark suggested that I try the 400. So as a youngster you're thinking that's a long way (laughs) round, one lap around this track is pretty far Um, and I always remember watching the 400 meter runners and seeing them either be ill at the end of the race or just looking completely wiped out and that did not appeal to me whatsoever. But me being me, I thought I'd give it a go, and uh, my first ever 400-meter race, my sister said to me, just jog the first 200 and then sprint the last 200 because that's your event, and that's yeah. exactly what I did. And uh, it was my event from that there on. Obviously, I had to learn a little bit more how to run it, but primarily that's exactly what I did throughout my career, just coast the first 200 and then the kick the last 200. Um, But yeah, it it was definitely a great journey as an athlete, uh, meeting new friends, traveling, my training groups were fantastic. Um, And then, you know, my last 400 as a junior was at the European Junior Championships, um, where I was selected to do the 400, obviously, but no one expected me to do as well as I did and I won the European Junior Championships but of course the following year I was a senior so I didn't get the opportunity to either retain my title or be the best junior in Europe for more than one year yeah. so um, I was almost starting from scratch as they yeah. say you start at the, the bottom of the ladder and start climbing yeah. again to the senior ranks and yeah the, the career was lengthy I, I'm well known for the grand as the grandma of athletics because I refused to <laughs> to give up and retire. And I was still going very much into my late thirties.
0: It's interesting because I'd read about the grammar athletics. I thought, is that true? I don't want to quote that just in case it isn't, because it'd be really offensive. um... No,
1: I've been called many things. My nickname is Legs for obvious reasons. Um, Very long legs, apparently the longest in athletics. I don't know how true that is, because I'm sure there's some high jumpers out there with (laughs) some longer legs than mine.
0: I think it's potentially how you sort of watch you as your running style. It almost seems like um, you're sort of 60% leg and 40% upper body and arms when you're watching you running.
1: Absolutely. So you can imagine the nightmares I had with Kit and when we were given our Team GB kit, the sleeves would be short and I'd have to get the men's sizes to fit. So it it was a bit of a nightmare when it came to Kit. But at the end of the day, it's not the kit that makes you run fast. It's your own ability.
0: And how did you find the step up from juniors to seniors in terms of the competitive side, but also kind of the support network around you, what was available as an athlete?
1: Yeah, I think the support network is really, really important. And when I started out, there was no lottery funding. No. It was he- I was heavily reliant on my parents. I didn't have a Saturday job because, of course, I was competing at weekends. So it was really about savings and just relying on my family to to support me. But aside from that, um, I had physios, I had nutritionists. Later on in my career, not so much when I was younger, because I I literally ate what I liked and it it was not a problem. And of course, back then it was more of a hobby as opposed to a profession. Uh, But as I got older, it became much more professional in terms of making sure I had enough rest. I ate properly. My training regime was on point. Um, But the transition from juniors to seniors, I've always been in a position where I was training with either guys, boys who were a lot quicker than me or older girls. So I was always on the almost the back foot. So I was always having to raise my game in every single training session. There was no let-up whatsoever, and, and I was the kind of individual that wanted to push those boundaries and not leave anything behind in, in the warm-up track.
0: Yeah. Everything
1: had to be put into to that competition and that event. So the transition was more mental than physical, and the training didn't change that much. It was more so the environment and knowing my focus needed to change so when I was re- when I represented England at the Commonwealth Games, which was my first yes. senior championships, and um, that was a, a huge eye opener because I was just in awe, of everyone that was on the team; those are the people that I'd seen on TV, and it was just oh my goodness. So I was only going for the relay, so yeah. having to wait the entire athletics program until I was able to set foot on the track, was a bit daunting, anxious, all the possible emotions you can think of. But it was definitely a learning curve and seeing how the older athletes moved, when they went to bed, what they ate. So it was definitely an educational journey for me. But unfortunately, those championships, I didn't get a run. So it was a bit of a blow for me um, to know that I was there, but didn't actually get to run. But in fact... I always try and look at the, uh, the positives in everything that happens to me, any any barriers that I put in front of me, just think of the positives. And I went away and thought, right, it's not going to happen again. Whatever I do, I have to be selected for the individual and not just the relay because then you're guaranteed of to step foot on the track. So it was definitely a steep learning curve, upsetting, obviously going all the way to Canada and not running, but it was definitely a, a learning curve for me.
0: And when was it for you that you really felt that you could then start to compete? So the people you'd looked at previously going, Wow, look at them, you were now sort of lining up alongside going, Do you know what I'm gonna give you a run for your money now? <laughs>
1: yeah, I think I think I mean that that's such a, a good question because having the support network around me, my training partners, they, they saw the ability in me and the talent that I had more so probably than I, I knew myself. Okay. So, having that encouragement every single training session and you know, Donnie, you've got the talent, come on, push through. You can do this, you, you've set your goals from the outset, from the, the minute winter training starts. You know what you're aiming for, and that was always my focus. So, in order to get to those major championships, you're going to have to beat the best in the UK so in order to do that I just trained really hard and got mentally strong and I always say it's not just about being physically strong you need to be mentally strong as well to achieve what you want to especially in sport so um, it it wasn't so much right I'm going to beat you it was really setting goals for myself and and personal bests and and just trying to be get to that major championships
0: and then kind of skipping a couple of years later in the build-up to Obviously, the Olympics in Sydney. Um, you were training with Cathy Freeman as well, which must have made a real difference in terms of you're saying you were training with some of the best. She was right up there and must have spurred you along and pushed you through as well. How confident did you feel going into those games?
1: It, that, that was a journey in itself. Um, I was catapulted into training with her. With, I, I wasn't expecting my coach at the time was a little eccentric and he'd create so many opportunities for me that I didn't even know were coming. Um, and lo and behold, I was told, right, you're training with Freeman from next week. And I was like, <laughs> okay, if that's what i have got to do, that's what I'm doing. And um, I think the nice thing about that experience was being both quite similar in characteristics, very down to earth. Uh, we worked hard and um, it made me realize that although we put um, our stars on pedestals It's who wants it the most and who's willing to put the work into it. And she was exactly like me. She's just another 400-meter runner, um, probably a little bit more talented than me. But at the same time, we had the same training sessions. We'll put the same amount of effort in uh, and whatever came came out the other end. Um, But it was definitely um, an eye-opener for me in the sense that I realized how good I could be um unfortunately i didn't that didn't transpire until after the final when i thought my gosh i could have got a medal but that again comes back to you know you could be as physically fit as you possibly can but it really does boil down to your mental toughness and i just didn't deep down believe that i could have won a medal i was just happy to be there so it just goes to show that you're all your planning setting objectives you just got to aim a lot higher than you think you're capable of achieving
0: and do you think that was one of the biggest factors because i mean i've re the race since so i remember watching it live and i kind of from my side i remember a sort of slower start for you but then finishing so strongly at the end that you're probably the only person on the track that wanted an extra 10 yards because then you probably would have picked it was kathy Murray just in front of you isn't there and they just got to get it yeah absolutely i think that's the one and only time i wish
1: it was 430 <laughs> meters usually i wish it was 350 because that was my best bit of the race but um yeah, it was, I, I was, if you watch that race and you watch me through the rounds, I was in lane seven and eight through the rounds um, and, and very composed, was focusing on my own race. And then come the final, I was in lane two. And it only seemed like yesterday um, that that race occurred. I can I go through it step by step almost. But I was absolutely adamant that I was not going to follow the other girls that I could See, you yeah. know, visually see. I was just so focused in my, bo- bo- you know, my whole bubble that, you know, I was in the zone as they call it. That I was not aware of what was going on. So I went to the other extreme of just not having that self awareness. That if it wasn't for that screen on that top bend, I would have still been coming around the bend now. Probably <laughs> it was then. Like, it was oh my gosh, Don, you're dead last. What the <laughs> hell are you doing? Um, and, and it was then that I realised I was in the Olympic final and needed to get a move on. And at that point, I didn't realise how quickly I was coming through. I was just going for the line, um, and across the line, had no idea what position I'd come at all. Of course, being in lane two, you can't see that far yeah. across the line. Um, but there's that that famous picture that I don't know if you can see it behind me. Slightly, probably not.
0: Is it the one of you and Cathy at the end? Yeah. Yes.
1: Oh, you see it, yeah, that one. Um, we're both looking up at the scoreboard because it would come up in, in order uh, of winner, second, third, and so sort of third place, great, brilliant for Catherine and Mary and then to see me. And it wasn't even so much the fourth place, it was more so the times.
0: Um, being
1: so, yeah, yes. being so close. Even though I broke, it there's the first time I broke 50 seconds, so that didn't even... Bother me. It wasn't even that. It was the fact that it was so close for, for third place that, that I was gutted about. But at the same time, I was over the moon for Freeman, having known the journey she'd gone through. And we'd gone through it together to see her get that gold medal with Australia on her shoulders was just yeah. so exciting. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's fantastic. It's, it's interesting because the last person I interviewed was Dean Macy, and he said that a lot of people had always said to him, well, oh, fourth, it must be the worst place to finish because you just miss out. But his answer was, well, oh, it's better than fifth, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I quite like that view. I,
1: I, I can understand that, but at the time, you're absolutely of gutted. Course. It's yeah. only now, you know, years on, and it took me a while to watch that race, to be honest. I, I was devastated. That I think, you know, I wouldn't mind coming forth now in the world. (laughs) Give it to me now on a plate, I'll have it. (laughs) But, you know, when you're in it and you know you're so close, I I was absolutely devastated. But, you know, it it wasn't meant to be. And I can only blame myself for that race.
0: And. I suppose you continue sort of training and pushing and then it was 2009 wasn't it that um obviously health-wise things took a um, dramatic turn and it's one of the connections we've got in terms of uh, a charity we support so can you kind of talk people through the journey of that initial discovery and then what you went through with that please
1: oh absolutely so um 2008 was my last olympic games and um, if you remember what i was saying about the commonwealth games in 94 that i would never ever get selected to represent my country and not run well the same thing happened in 2008 selected for the olympic games but didn't get a run and um i thought "Mm, this i need to have a little different focus so I decided to do 400 metres indoors, which I'd never done before. So you can imagine Donna with long legs doing two laps indoors. <laughs> tight bends is not pretty. Um, but it was a challenge. I felt I needed that challenge. And, of course, with the world's coming up in 2009, it would have given me catapulted me into giving me some more confidence. Yeah. Um, but the May of that year, um, I, I discovered a lump, and I thought, ooh, this is a bit odd. Maybe I put it down to training, to be yeah. quite honest. Um, but, as you will know it 's just really important to be body aware and understand and if things are not changing, then go and check it out and that 's exactly what I did went to my g p and uh, uh it was like okay regardless it 's got to come out we you know we'll send it off to the tests and cutting a long story short, um, the results came back as early stages of breast cancer, so you can imagine um hearing that was where the hell did that come from? You know, I'm physically fit, no family history, no previous warning signs. um, And and I I was completely blown away. And I honestly put my athletics down to that mental toughness because immediately thought, okay, this is what it is. What do I need to do? And um, my care nurse at the time, Julie, she was just fantastic, went through everything. And the whole, you know, the treatment, what was the next steps and so forth. And, I just literally embraced it. Um, you know, it, it's difficult, it's horrible news to deal with, but you know where, what you need to do and what next, and there's no point in dwelling on what was the past and what could have been and asking all those questions because a lot of the time you don't get the answers. Um, so, yeah, so that was definitely a, the kickstart of a, a very long journey because, of course, I was very much looking forward. I was still, in, I was still running, yeah. of course. Um, so I had the lumpectomy and, uh, literally two weeks later, I was back out on the track running, which is crazy, um, in agony, but no one knew only my coach knew my training partners were not aware. My, my close family knew as well, but I was adamant that I was going to have a season. Um, and then of course you have to sit down and talk about the treatment. I was going to go through radiotherapy um but then another curveball was was thrown my way and and uh the conversation around a mastectomy was like have you considered that and I was like uh no where did that come from you know I'd never had that spoken to me about before so um again the turmoil of of trying to deal with that what do I do I'm not sure who's had this gone through this journey I had no I had no idea where to turn to um and um, I, I literally explored every conversation with my family, even my physio, who is very close to me. You know, we talk about the support network. My physio is extremely close to me, still is, because he knew my body inside out. And and each and every one of those said, Donna, it's up to you. It's up to you what you decide to do. Um, it's your body. You have to make the decision. So um, I, I opted for a mastectomy and, and had the operation in December 2009. So still competed through that year um, Announced my story actually at the the trials for the world championships because mm-hmm. no one could understand you know um you know this was 2012 so fast forward in 2012 I thought okay I'm going to come out of retirement because I retired from the sport yes. I'll come out of retirement um but everyone was like why the hell are you coming back to a sport that is and running 400s <laughs> you're nuts you're crazy but of course, I knew my reasons. I yeah, wanted to, to finish on my terms as yeah. opposed to because of what I'd gone through. And uh, to have a standing ovation at, at Birmingham Athletics Track to see me back on the track because my story had broken that morning. Everyone understood why I wanted to come back to inspire others that they can, can overcome some of these challenges in life.
0: No, And you you kind of proved everyone as well, didn't you? Because it's great you set out and you wanted to get the qualifying time for the Olympics of 2012 as well. (laughs) And you you went and did it.
1: (laughs) I did. I was so adamant. I was like, at least I I knew it would be a big ask to be out of the sport for so long and and actually make the team would be a big ask because the girls were running pretty quick and I knew it would be a real hard task. But just to get qualified to do the trials was just... I was just over the moon and and probably I would have laughed at that when I was at my fittest, but it just goes to show as you go through life, you know, you set your goals and and things change, but I was just happy to be alive, number one, having gone through what I did and then still try and, and, and have that serious message about the importance of being body aware. So that was really my focus.
0: And you became a breast cancer ambassador in 2009, is that correct? Well, 2010. 2010.
1: Sorry, 2000. Yeah, okay. Yes, in 2010, when I was going through a recovery, I thought I need to do some more. I need to do more and, and explore. And uh, it was Breakthrough Breast Cancer then that yeah. I'd eventually been connected with. And ever since, I've just been supporting with their messaging. And now, obviously, it's Breast Cancer now. Um, and, and do a lot of talks, especially from those from an ethnic background who tend to shy away from talking about any c word any types of cancer so i think i I have the the duty of care really for other women and men because of course you know it doesn't just breast cancer doesn't just affect women it's men as well and just spread that message because the earlier it can be detected the the likelihood that you can be treated for that and, and and survival rates are higher
0: And I think that's so important that people, those who have been through it, those of our family affected, continue to share that message. And um, so what have you learned in the last year about how breast cancer has been affected by COVID as well and the, the charity themselves and sufferers? Yeah,
1: no, definitely. And I think everyone who's alive in this world now has been impacted in some shape or form with COVID. But what is important that the support is still there. The, the downside, obviously a lot of charities including breast cats now haven't been able to get the funds and do all their fundraising activities that they usually would do. However, the support is still there. And, and now of course, breast cancer now have now merged with breast cancer care. So, Working together is definitely a force for good, for sure, for those who are going through it. And I, in myself, I know someone who's just been diagnosed as well, and, and the support and the care is there. But not to be afraid, because if if anyone now is checking themselves and, and not sure and humming and hawing, should I go and get this checked out? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, you shouldn't even be second-guessing yourself, just get out there just get it because there's nothing worse than worrying you'd rather just know rather than just years down the line and it's too late
0: Uh, no I, i couldn't agree more And you've spoken as well about during your time um, supporting people, and then you were just saying there with respect to cancer as well, Um, those from more ethnic minority background. But you've been doing that from an athletics perspective as well, haven't you? And for a number of years, been really keen to promote that. So you can talk to me a little bit about your positions within athletics, where you have an opportunity to encourage people from BAME backgrounds to become more involved.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. So I work for UK Athletics hence the logo um so i well british athletics on here but it's the same thing um so i've been with them since 2017 as the quality diverse engagement lead and um it's a two-prong approach really in terms of my role one was to embed our core values and how we behave as an organization which is basically the inclusion piece and whether people feel valued within the organization and then the second part of that is to achieve the equality standard in sport, the advanced level. Yeah. And in simple terms, because it's a bit of a mouthful, is it's an opportunity for for me and the organisation to hold that EDI mirror up and look at ourselves and how we are operating through an EDI lens. And. There are going to be gaps. There's things that we don't do very well, but those are the things that we do need to focus on. But at the same time, not forgetting about the good things that we do. But that basically encapsulates everything to do with EDI and i from all the nine protected characteristics under the Equality Act, addressing mm-hmm. those areas, as well as looking at mental health and, and, and just encouraging those from an ethnic background to get involved in athletics and those who are within the sport from all the protected characteristics to feel that they have that sense of belonging. So it's creating that environment that we can thrive as a sport.
0: And what's for you? Obviously, being in, involved in athletics um, for without trying to mention a, a few decades, should we say, in different capacities. But how? What's the biggest thing you've seen change and progress for the better um, the, over these years?
1: Uh, there's there's a number of things that has progressed, but um, to to name but a few, we've just recently had new leadership um, at UK Athletics. So we've got a new CEO, new chair as of last year, early 2020. And the good thing about how they work is they understand what EDI means. It's not just a tick box exercise. And they've been so instrumental and supportive of the work that I want to do. Um, I'm nicknamed the Tasmanian Devil because I just have this whirlwind of, of ideas and what we can do and innovative ways to get people engaged in the work we want to do. Um, but we still have a long way to go, especially now that EDI is a real hot topic at the moment. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone wants to be better. But it is a forever revolving uh, ball, as it were, because things are changing so rapidly. So number one, definitely our leadership is a plus because they understand it. they want to drive this agenda. And not just as a tick box exercise, it's authentically done. So those open and uncomfortable conversations are being had. And that also builds trust. And I think probably previously we were lacking that within our sport. You have the leadership, you have the athletes there, and there, there's a big gap in between. And now there's a lot more trust. And we've still got a long way to go because you have to build those, take those time that time to build relationships. Um, but we still, if you were to look at our our leadership team, and in terms of the, the ethnic diversity on that, that still needs some improvement. But you have to take that step back and think, well, who's coming through? Are we recruiting from the right areas? We have to start from the very basics and look yeah. at talent IDing and all of that. So it's not just saying, okay, this is what we look like. How are we going to get better so that we're actually representing the sport that we, we serve?
0: No, Definitely. And um, during this time as well, have you seen, I suppose, more of an acceptance of an increase in people's awareness, their understanding? Specifically, obviously, last year we had um, a huge push for Black Lives Matter um, and a lot of sportsmen and women properly embraced that. I know at the British Champs it was an opportunity, wasn't it, where people said you can take a knee, you can show, you'll believe in whatever way you see. So do you see that continuing over 2021 as well growing?
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think this is the start of those uncomfortable conversations. And unfortunately, it took the murder of George Floyd for them to happen in many organisations. The UK Athletics, it wasn't something that we just jumped on. Absolutely not. It, it was a hot topic at the time. Mm. We wanted to support our athletes the best that we could and and give them not so much the approval, but know that we would support whatever they wanted to do. And um Prior to that, we signed in 2019, we signed the Race at Work Charter with Business in the Community. So we were already ahead of the game at looking at this in terms of ethnic minority uh, progression, our data and all of that. So this was just almost an add-on, as it were, to support the work that we were already doing behind the scenes. I guess from an athletics point of view, we don't shout from the rooftops what we're doing behind the scenes. We're not very good at that. Hence why we're probably always getting the finger pointed at us when we do things really wrong and really badly. So we need to learn to to pat ourselves on the back sometimes and shout about what we're doing, why we're doing it. And, And from that, we delivered the Let's Talk About Race sessions, which were a huge success and I didn't expect it to, to go in the magnitude that it did in, in terms of the reach that we had. And if there's any blessing that COVID has brought, it's technology and mm-hmm. being able to have that further reach rather than having to organize an event. And you can only have X amount of people. Whereas on online, you've got um, you've got an opportunity to reach so many more people. And that was just such an eye opener of a conversation and more to come because now we've got an action plan out the back of that and that will be rolled out from the end of this month oh,
0: that's really exciting and um looking at it as well from obviously that you from a youth from school and then building up through um have you seen the improvement in terms of the support with the the, the pay cap sponsor pay gap sponsorship from a gender perspective as well and from the economic analysis because some of the other guests have spoken to the um, around similar times as though they didn't always get the support in terms of sponsorship or help that they perhaps wanted or needed at the time have you seen a change and improvement for the better in that over the years and how do you see that Where continuing else?
1: well if i look back to when i started oh my good you'd be lucky if you got a, a towel from one of these top sports people um yeah, the, the sport landscape as a whole, I guess, is a worry in terms of some sports haven't been able to have some income coming in and there's that worry around sponsorship, what that looks like moving forward. But from a gender perspective, I think I can only speak for athletics, is there's always been, you know, male or female competition, there's no disparity there. But however, in the organisation, As part of uh, our funding with UK Sport, we have to have at least 30% women on boards. And from our perspective, we're now trying to push that for ethnic minorities as well as disability, because those Mm -hmm. are the three characteristics that really do resonate within athletics. And it has to be relative. You can't just pluck these percentages out of the sky if it doesn't make any sense to your organisation. So those are the top three that we really want to push for on boards to make that tangible change But it will take some time. As I said, it's about the recruitment processes, you know, our recruitment panels, the language that we use in our communications, how we're perceived from the outside looking in. There's a whole host of factors to, to see some tangible change. But, you know, we're taking pigeon steps, but at least we're going in the right direction.
0: No, definitely. So, um, a couple of final questions are for me. The first one being for any young potential athlete looking ahead trying to get into the sport or make a breakthrough, what advice would you give them?
1: Oh, wow, get involved in a club. Um, that's where I started. The club set up is definitely a stepping stone to put you in good stead moving forward and, and as part of my role at UC Athletics I also manage the domestic competition so seeing how the fixtures calendar looks that the amount of competitions that are out there and opportunities for youngsters a lot more than I had um it's just having that support and that push almost and For me, it came from school, and I know that has changed over the years in terms of, you know, PE not being a major factor in schools, and I think that's just such a shame because I think that should change. Um, Just having being outdoor spaces and getting out and about in break times is so important to to learning uh, moving forward. So for me, any youngster that wants to get involved in sport, not just athletics, although I will plug for athletics, get involved in athletics, Um, is is just to do it and of course it comes back to that support network and parents not not to be pushy but supportive Um, because we do often see some parents trying to live their dream (laughs) through their kids and we we don't want that because that will turn them off
0: if anyone wants to find anything more about you about some of the initiatives you're involved in and what you're doing where's the best place to find more details
1: So I am in the process of launching my website. So watch the space for that. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, So on Twitter at Donna Legs with a Z for obvious reasons. And likewise on Instagram and Facebook as well. So yeah, I'm always around available for any further questions. And if I can support and inspire anyone to get into sport, especially athletics, then I'm your person.
0: Donna, amazing. Thank you so much for your time this evening. And I will let you go and give mum a call back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's going on. She waits for me until I'm doing something to call madness. That would have been a really good three-way call, wouldn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you take care. I look forward to speaking soon. You too.
1: Thank you. Good night, everyone.
0: And that concludes another interview for the day thank you to each and every one of you for listening and as ever if you have any feedback send it through to me at my instagram handle of fighting underscore the underscore dad enjoy the rest of your day